Welcome to the Cambridge Tech Podcast, talking all things technology from the heart of the UK's tech capital. Here are your hosts, Faye Holland and James Parton. Hi, I'm James. And I'm Faye. So we've been going for four months now and what's happening is we're starting to see a lot of inbound inquiries which is super exciting and today's episode is actually someone that my company knows and they approached us and said hey you know we really like Cambridge Tech Podcast can we come on which of course we said yes. Yeah these are when we do say this every week it's not a hollow gesture we really do welcome companies you know coming forward and and waving their hands to come onto the show. So today's show is with Oomph Ventures. Why should you listen? Well, it's a female-founded clean tech startup business based here in South Cambridgeshire, and they're looking to disrupt the current EV charging model. The company has designed and developed the technology for off-grid rapid mobile charging of EVs, which themselves are charged by renewable energy sources and are delivered in electric vehicles, which will directly support businesses and their net zero goals. And I'll just give you an advance warning of some deep EV fanboy conversations that we get into. (laughs) Excellent. So let's introduce Morag, Morag Hutchian, who is the founder of Oomph EV. Hi, Morag. Thanks for coming and joining us today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So you founded UMFIV four years ago, I believe, and we're going to obviously talk a lot about UMFIV, but I actually want to find out about a little bit about you first of all. And I believe you spent two decades in design, winning various accolades. You want to just tell us a little bit about your journey? Yeah, from a, a young age, I was interested in making things and making things different and uh, improving and looking at things from a very different perspective. One of my memories that sticks with me quite often is uh, careers advice. What would you like to do when you grow up sort of thing? I'd like to be an engineer. And in the 80, early 80s, this was sort of laughed at. My careers teacher laughed at me and said, girls don't do that. Go and do typing sort of next. And it sort of stuck with me that actually gave me a little bit of determination that now, there's no reason why I can't. I do think differently. At the time, we couldn't do design technology at school. We couldn't do technical drawing. So it was big barriers. And I've sort of taken those and just broken them down all the way through my career and started as an industrial designer, worked 30 years in different consultancies, which was brilliant because it was across so many sectors, uh, fuel pumps, consumer goods, a lot of medical instruments. And that gives you a really good founding uh, of experience and, and knowledge and thinking differently about how you create new products and systems and brands and things. Really interesting and super diverse. I think most of us can remember our of a certain age can remember those conversations with careers advisors. I think I think it's moved on a little bit since then. Well, has it? Yeah, I guess that was going to be my kind of follow up question. I mean, what is the situation like right now in education? Have you have you kept close to that or spoke to some girls in London a couple of years ago, and they were trying to encourage girls into engineering, and and they were because they were having the same issue. I think it's improving. Probably depends where you are and your background family-wise as well. I think there's still a lot of challenges to to overcome and encourage more open thinking and diversity in what you can do and what you can achieve. But then if we go back to the early 80s, we didn't have internet. I don't know how I decided to be, even think that an engineering position would be for me because we just didn't see those things. Um, So yeah, the, the, 
world's very different now. You, you think back, don't you? How did you ever discover anything? <laughs> if it wasn't in your immediate social circle or accessible to you in some way, it's very difficult to find out about things that wouldn't pass you by, you know, uh, on a day-to-day basis. And you, where do you find the role models from, you know, in a situation like that? Yeah, my father was mm. an engineer, so I guess that's where I got mine and my brother as as well. And I guess that immediate family is where I got my steers from, or golf, which I didn't follow as a career. I sometimes wish I had, but um, I went into the sort of development, innovation and, and engineering as, as the thing I was, was my heart and soul, really. But golf's still leisure. Um, it's become leisure again, yeah. I'd stopped for, I played very high level and the decision to go professional or not, well, I was about 18, didn't think I was good enough and wanted to be doing what I'm doing now so much that I stopped playing when I moved away from home. I couldn't afford to join a golf club. And I started again about seven, eight years ago. And I've just completely fallen in love and I'm back at an incredibly high level, just finding the time now in this sort of new business interest to play. But hopefully the next 12 months, I'll sort of get back on the course at least twice a week, if possible. Interesting. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. So so let's go back to the conversation about, you You know, your father, your brother, you know, you had those male ro- role models around you. But you are a female entrepreneur. How's that? How's that journey been? You know, was that also a little bit of a shock? Yes, because it wasn't planned. It was just, it's just sort of happened. And actually, I'm not a very confident person. And Phil, my business partner for 30 years, uh, actually this month is 30, uh, 31 years this month, we've worked together. And he's always been very encouraging. One of his other people that he brought into the industry was Johnny Ive of Apple. So he's he's seen some talent and bits and pieces. And I think he saw something in me, which was something different again, which is how I think. And it was irrelevant that I was female. And he's just encouraged me. We've worked together across all these segments. And for a lot of that time, I was too shy to speak. I would just fare to wear the background and do all my, what I needed to do. And it wasn't until fairly recently, probably five years ago, when my life changed, um, that I found a voice and found my own confidence, really, that what I did and how I thought really mattered and could make a difference. Maury, do you want to talk about what happened? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Please. Well, yeah, five years ago, exactly this week, I was told I had a very aggressive cancer. It was a bit of a shock. So what did that do to change your, you know, your view, your outlook? You just suggested you looked at things very differently. Yeah, I think until that point, I'd sort of always felt I'd nobody really noticed me and I'd gone under the radar and I'd won some really big awards, uh, which was fantastic. Um, and that was probably where my confidence started to appear a little bit or acceptance that I could do things quite well. But I think at the point of cancer entered my life, everything changed. I realised actually I was quite strong. I thought I would collapse and fall fall apart, but it became evident that there was something in me that I'd never really seen before. And the love and care that I had from friends and family was quite overwhelming as well. Um, and I think I've just taken a lot of that positivity and energy, incredible difficult and traumatic time, because you don't know if you're going to get through the next six months to still be here five years later talking about it being a female entrepreneur of an incredibly exciting business with a brilliant team working together with me is yeah it's quite something it's it's amazing how such devastating news had that huge impact on you isn't it Mm. yeah there's some lessons i think many could 
could take um, in all different types of things, not necessarily to do with cancer, but just how you view the future and be positive and what's possible. Everything's possible. It's just a mindset. Um, And certainly going through my treatment, as much as I was terrified, uh, very lucky to be in this area and have two or three professors looking after me. I just said, you tell me what to do and I'm not going to question it. I will do exactly everything. Um, And it was, yeah, it was immensely hard, but um, I'm here. Yeah, you're here. Thank you for for sharing that. You know, I think it's it's part of your story, so um, it's great you've been open about that. Thank you. Um, so let's let's move on then and and talk about umph and and I believe this came out of personal experience. So so where did the whole idea for umph EV come from? Actually, two things we just talked about is where it came from. Just before my diagnosis, a friend of mine, we were going to play golf in their new Tesla. And I said, I always like to run the gauntlet on my mileage. My life is so hectic. Actually planning to charge and trying to find a charge station is going to be really difficult for me. And then it occurred to me about by the time we'd finished that journey that actually there was an opportunity if we needed a an equivalent of a jerry canner for like five litre top-up. And I'm sure we could do that with a battery charging capability. And and that's where the, the sort of gem of the idea came from and, and really... That was something that I focused on very heavily through my cancer treatment was that was the only thing I was thinking about, uh, obviously getting better. But it was just that give me the time to really think about it as a proposition, look globally at what was out there, look at the growth in EV, looked at the problems from a an industry perspective or a consumer perspective moving to EV and just kept getting more and more information and, and a focus for me, partly to get through something fairly traumatic which was good to focus on something but it, it soon became very obvious that actually this was a, a something that we needed to needed to really do and, and sort of move on to the next step as you describe that it's kind of sounds like it's there as a, a reassurance kind of emergency backup kind of product in case you are caught short for one of a better uh, expression or or is it a, a, an actual product designed to have regular use it's more like a a kind of top-up product how do you position it with the kind of marketing messaging i think uh, originally it was um definitely a sort of an emergency um scenario but as we've developed and gone through and spoken to thousands of users sort of ev drivers um and companies and we listen to their problems um car delivery company will take uh, bmw take five on the back of a a flatbed for new customers and it takes them five days to charge them up well surely as that progresses and everything's ev there's a real problem there mm. so i think there's a constant service opportunity um there's the occasional use but there's a there's a and the top up which is i don't have a charge point at home 63 percent of the population globally do not have access to a driveway mm. and just thinking about the the way of trying to get the infrastructure into all of those people that really yeah. need it. If we're going to transition everybody, we need a hundred different systems to be able to support them because digging up a pavement isn't always possible yeah. if you live in an apartment. So this is sort of the gap that helps anybody transition to EV, be it a, a corporation and a fleet management company through to the automotive companies offering a service to their customers or customers themselves saying, actually, we want to do this, but we don't know we can't transition or we need some charge. 
Mm, So it's grown into something that much more than just a little niche. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I guess in simple terms, then you have a battery to take your, you know, the example of a domestic property without a driveway. If you're parking on the street, you would charge the battery domestically on a usual three pin plug and then then take that out to the car, plug it in and charge. Or how does that work? Well, the system we've worked on is is a fairly bigger unit. So it's 50 kilowatt hours um, and 50 kilowatt charging, which is quite big and quite expensive. So what we're looking to do is sell the technology to people that want to do a service to be able to go and drop curb, charge, and then drive around the corner and charge somebody else at the same time. So you don't have any disruption to your life. You don't have to dig up the pavement. And it's quite cost effective because you're not having to put any infrastructure in. And I think that's something for consumers that we could do quite easily. Okay, so it's more of a B2B proposition with a service element to it. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And you mentioned it's, um, you say 35 kilowatts, 50 kilowatts? 50 kilowatts. Okay, so that is actually quite fast then. It's sort of rapid. Yeah, charging. a lot faster than a lot of the public infrastructure out there. It is. And I, and I think this is something that we're very passionate about as well. Is I've lived with an EV for two and a half years and it's, it's a big learning curve to go up to. Before that, for 40 years, given away my age, maybe not quite 40 years, driving a wet fuel car, it's very different. The language is different. Gallons and litres to kilowatt hours and kilowatts charging and all the rest, it's so different. And I don't think there's anybody helping consumers or anybody with an EV to move into that. So I think we will play a big part in trying to help educate and and guide that transition as well. I think that's a really important point because, you know, to assess these things is going to be down to the user experience and the friction. Uh, and as you say that, you know, even now, how many years have we had domestic electricity supply and you still get a bill from your electricity supplier in kilowatts and it, it means nothing to you. No. And trying to make that connection of switching off a light or a TV and how does that relate to my bill? It, it's it's impossible for the average user, right? It is, yeah. Um, I mean, I th- thankfully, we're getting past that point now of different connector types as well. But if you go to... It's just, it's like Russian roulette. If you go to a public charging station, likely it's going to be out of order anyway, or an ice car blocking it. That's right. Um, But then you've got to figure out your chargers and your cables and all that kind of stuff. So having, you know, a one size fits all solution that just turns up and charges your car and you don't have to worry about it seems like quite an interesting breakthrough. Yeah, we've we've really sort of try to foot come at it from a user perspective so it's what's going to make it easier for somebody with an ev so it's take all those pain points out somebody parked where they shouldn't be um along what happened at christmas in the new year at gretna sort of 40 cars waiting to get on those four charge points and i think these are the things that people don't understand so our approach to be able to go in and quickly hence the 50 kilowatt to go in quickly charge somebody up and move on to the next person Rather than somebody park, take up that space, go for a coffee, two hours, and you've got somebody else that wants to move it. It doesn't really make sense. So this is sort of turning the problem on its head to try and make it accessible to many more people much quicker without anybody having to do anything. So when we got the e-tron, the Audi we've been using as a sort of demo car to get up to speed with everything EV, it was 47 hours sat on a charge point because it was 12 weeks to get my home charge point fitted well any normal person with family what do you want to do would you rather stay at home and put the kids to bed or have dinner with the family rather than 
sit out on a cold autumn's night charging up to get to work to the next day. That's not that's not a solution, I don't think, that's going to help the transition. And then there's the charging rates. So we talk about seven kilowatts, if you're lucky, um, at a home charge point, and you can get the rapid 150. But I think a lot of the unknowns for the user is if you go to a supermarket, they promote, we've got a charge point. But that's probably going to give them three or four miles before, yeah. while they've done their shopping yeah. to go back. Yeah. And the difference between um, a seven kilowatt charger and a 150 or a 50 watt charger, it's it's massive. And it's like the, dif- the difference between the dial-up modem speeds and what you get now. And I think, again, education-wise for the masses is these are the differences. When the temperature drops, your battery range chops. So you have to figure these things in. Yeah. And if... Umph can provide a service that we know you're going to be going up the A1 and you're going to be here. We can sort of pinpoint and say, this is what we like to do in the future, pinpoint and say, well, uh, a vehicle could come out here as one of the service providers. You can go in and have a coffee on Walmart with your family and we'll give you a charge and then you can carry on your journey. So it's it's sort of really... So it's almost on demand. It's that responsive, it, it, is it? It can be. Obviously, we're doing the technology to provide that, but yeah. we've, that's what we've built. So a company with a fleet could do that absolutely right i'm kind of on a flow here yeah I, I, yeah exactly um i guess my final question then before i hog all of the time is it's that classic startup question the scalability of it you know i guess i guess if you're b2b or that's not necessarily your issue because it's the the fleet of providers that are going to be out there on the roads but how you know how do you see that growing over time what what kind of what kind of growth do we need to see in service providers to match the adoption of EVs in the UK? It needs to be significant. And I don't think from everything I've read and understood and heard that actually we can manage that. So our solution is one really good entry into the market to help that as well as other solutions. And there's probably another 50 out there that need yeah. to be developed as well because mass adoption of EV is is significant. And I think for us, growth, yes, we'll develop the technology I think ultimately one day we might have a little service or or work with somebody to have an ump service. I would really love that, but we'll do it through a business to business partner that can yeah. run that fleet and that, that that's their expertise. But yeah, it'd be great to have ump going around helping people, which is what we're doing on the inside. So, what I would like to understand because you presented at the Tech Nation Rising Stars final regional final. Um, a few weeks ago, and you showed the pictures of the box in the booth. And, you know, I guess, how does it work? Can you can you describe what the box is, what the mechanics are of it? Sure. It's um, lithium batteries based around, and we've got some inverters and power modules and some very clever electronics and software that's been developed over the last 18 months. It's high voltage, so obviously there's a lot of safety issues with what we're doing. So we've we've managed to do things with regulations and trying to look at setting some of the regulations because there's some competitors and we there isn't a sort of industry standard. So that's one of the things that we'd like to try, be part of setting. So yeah, a, a, a box of clever bits of technology that we've brought together. Uh, we're not making the batteries. We'd like to partner with somebody in the future that maybe have a different battery technology. And I think the benefit of what we're doing is it's a technology that could be six different battery methods or types in the future um, it's the same principle with everything else that we've built around so you can be agnostic from that perspective which i guess i guess is a, a key advantage for you i mean there's a lot of money being invested in future battery technology right now so do you see uh, 
an opportunity to diversify the product range. You know, so you might get to a size of battery that uh, you know a, a driver could carry around in the boot of their car or have a, a domestic property or do you think it would always need that kind of service element no i think we can certainly look at that i think there's the question for the the, the home-based system is speed we've gone into the market very early on we looked at some of the smaller units and we could have done that but actually when you're looking to really make a difference a rapid charge is anything up of sort of 30 kilowatts isn't it doing seven kilowatts with a pack yes there's an opportunity in the market for that and we might at some stage go into that but we've sort of really focused on out and about really doing a rapid charge um, because we've we understand from the research that's what people really want they don't want to stick there for 24 hours being charged they want to have a quick sharp charge and get on their way again Perfect example, isn't it, of being a startup, shaking up a marketplace. And it's not just the tech, it's the who do you partner with. It's the fact that you've got to educate the market. You're looking at regulation. You know, it's a whole package. It's it's quite a complicated area, isn't it? It's incredibly complicated and it's, it's rapidly moving and scaling. There's a lot of people in the industry as well that are still very blinkered on where we always had fuel stations and we'll just put in the same but with relatively slow charges in comparison to filling up with a wet fuel car, which takes five minutes for a full tank, we're looking at 40 minutes probably for a, an EV. And that's quite a difference. So we've come at it from a different perspective. Actually, that, that time is really precious to people. So if we can develop something that people provide that to give them time back rather than sit charging when they don't want to. I mean, it's, it's all very considered, you know, what you're talking about. And, and I think the other thing that I didn't realise is even the name. There's quite a lot of thought gone into the name as well. Do you want to explain to everyone where Oomph came from? Of course. Um, yeah, it's something that everybody everybody warms to, Oomph. So it's the sort of the double meaning of you hear all the time, need a bit of Oomph to get going, need a bit of Oomph to be able to, to, to move something. Um, so we took that plus the zero, zero miles per hour. So if you look at it as a split it down into two, zero, zero miles per hour when you run out of charge and you haven't got any energy to get going again and you need a bit of oomph to get yourself going. So it's a, it's a really nice, simple play on words. In this week's news, we have updates from Arm, Glyconics, Resilience, the Impulse Programme and the Business Weekly Awards. First to Arm, where market diversification continues to drive strong royalty and licensing growth. In the Q3 results, CEO René Haas has announced that total revenue for the quarter was $746 million, up 28% year on year. And Arm Partners shipped a record 8 billion Arm-based chips, taking the total to date to more than $250 billion. Medtech firm Glyconics continues development of its novel non-invasive diabetes screening device by meeting primary endpoints in two clinical investigations. Climate analytics company Resilience has secured $26 million Series B funding to help global businesses transition to the low-carbon economy. In advance of the 2023 programme, Impulse at the Maxwell Centre have shown their weight in supporting entrepreneurship, with one in every two programme participants going on to found a commercial technology business. 
And finally, entry for the 2023 Business Weekly Awards has opened and already a clutch of exciting companies have thrown their hats into the ring, including Bios Health, VividQ and Seta Genomics. For more details on the awards and for more detail of this week's news, please follow Business Weekly. So just going back to a, a point that Faye just started to touch on, partnerships, you know, clearly, you know, with your go-to-market strategy, it's going to be critical, uh, you know, to the success of the business. So, you know, can you share your kind of thinking around how you're forming partnerships? Because that would think would be really insightful for, you know, the startup founders that are listening to the show. Sure. Obviously, with the research we've done, you get to talk to lots of interesting people in different sectors, not just the consumers. And I think some of our thinking sort of awakened some views in the industry that are are changing things. But I think I'd like to bring together energy companies as well as delivery companies with our technology to go and deliver energy, a sustainable energy or renewable energy via our EV clean equipment because it's lithium, it's not diesel, it's, it's quiet and clean through an EV network of vehicles direct to the customer. I think that's a a really exciting proposition. So energy companies, delivery companies, automotive companies, so helping their customers charge or managing their customers' anxiety about how to charge in the worst-case scenario or learning experience. So partnering with some automotive companies, energy companies, delivery companies, conversations we've been having. And what's your experience been like? I mean, obviously, you don't want to upset any potential partners, but, you know, they sound like large, bureaucratic, slow-moving organisations. Have they been open to working with a startup? Yeah, they're quite excited because they see this opportunity as being the future for them and how they can really engage and support their customers as some fairly significant brands. They really care about the customers and they see this as something that will help sell their vehicles or get energy to where it's really needed right to the doorstep because if you think of uh, the wet fuel stations uh, wet forecourts that's going to disappear over the next 10 20 years how do they engage with their customers so this is an opportunity that they can take renewable energy get to the customers offer them a service and they're sort of backing people's minds as as brands and helping consumers and fleets and everything else I did a bit of work with BMW Drive Now in the previous life. At that stage, I don't know if they still are, but they talk about the future of mobility rather than people owning cars, right? You know, because Gen Z, et cetera, probably don't need to see the need of owning There's a lump of metal on the driveway that just depreciates every five seconds. So this feels like an absolutely perfect solution for kind of urban car sharing, where if they transfer to ev vehicles you can guarantee people hiring them aren't going to charge them so it sounds like absolutely a perfect market for you yeah absolutely and i think the the rental car market and the fantastic cambridge company they're the only company i believe in cambridge to rent ev cars to put in charge point which they've only got a a small uh, sort of 22 kilowatt or 11 kilowatt charger they got a quote to dig up and put in a, a rapid charger which was £98,000 plus the charge from the council to dig up the road. And this is a real barrier to small businesses, even the big corporations that have got multiple sites that maybe don't have access to be able to dig up and everything else. So it's it's really supporting the small businesses as well as working with, hopefully, we'll get to work with some of the big corporations to, to make a difference there, but at local level to help these small companies that are trying to make a difference with what they're doing as a business but actually fall over at the first hurdle because 
the cost to implement a fixed infrastructure, even for one vehicle, is is immense. So they've got six vehicles. If they're delivered back, it's not they don't necessarily come back with a full charge or nearly full. Sometimes it can be 20%. And they've got a real problem to try and charge those up before they... So they lose rental opportunities because they have to take them off-grid for quite a long time to, to get them recharged. So if you think of that as one business in itself... What we're doing is really going to help them. And if you take that and spread it globally and around the country with different sectors, it's hopefully something that will really make a difference and help people. It reminds me, you talked about dial-up modems earlier on. Um, it reminds me of the, this huge retrofit we've had to do to get broadband everywhere. And thankfully, I think we're, we're past that now. So this is really an alternative that we don't even have to go go down that route. Yeah, we which, don't have to dig, dig up yeah. the pavements and we can just implement a silent, clean system. And I think that's the other nice thing that we're very concerned about as a business, that this isn't running diesel generators mm. or running it in a diesel van. We've gone EV for our demo vehicle that we're going to support and do some trials locally. We'll run it in an EV. We'll try and take the energy that we put into that from renewable sources, wind and solar, so we're, we're doing the right thing. And I think as, a, as an opportunity, this is something quite unique that can, we can spread and grow because it's doing the right thing for the environment and for the future. Yeah, so I guess my question was going to be, you talk about your demo van. Um, so what, what stage are you at? You know, in terms of, are you at a prototype MVP stage or you pass that stage and you're now into full commercialization? What, I guess two questions. Where are you right, right now and what does 2023 look like for the business? Okay, so uh, we've been trialling the prototype that works and fully tested. Uh, we trialled it with an automotive company last year over three months, which was very successful. We're now at sort of just finalising the sort of pre-production version. Uh, we've done some changes. We've, we've increased the kilowatt hours, so we've gone from a 30 to a 50s-hour lead product to make a bigger difference. And I think... We're just about to move, hopefully, into our industry unit so we can really take on growing the business and, and growing the opportunity, building our own resource to be able to do manufacturing or assembly. And sort of 2023 is a, a really exciting opportunity for us. What about for you as well? You know, so we've got the golf course we need to be looking out for. for sure. You know, you've talked about, you know, being a female entrepreneur. What 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 are you going to be looking at this year? So... UMF is really at a good stage. We're ready to move into an industrial unit to take on our assembly and to be able to build ourselves rather than rely on anybody else and start to grow that opportunity and, and build a sales and engineering team. Then we can sort of start to go a little bit more wider afield and, and global with this opportunity. So it, 2023 is a really exciting time for us. Just about to go into the big investment next stage, which is Daunting but exciting. There's a lot of interest already. We've got a lot of VC um, and interested parties sort of knocking on the door. So we're just about to put our toe in the water for that, which is exciting. And then for me, yeah, umph is what it's about. Um, keep doing what I'm doing. Keep trying to show people what's possible and to think differently and to make a difference. Everybody can do it. Trying a little bit more golf. We'll see. Brilliant. Thank you for your time today, Morag. That's great. Thanks for having me. That was a really interesting session, really authentic, genuine conversation. So so I love that. But what I want to know from you, James Fanboy, tell us tell us what did you learn? Well, 
I mean, I think we speak to a lot of really interesting technology companies on the show. What really impressed me about Morag is just how much she understood the market and the opportunity and has really focused down on just the user experience and removing the friction and the anxiety of EV ownership. You know, it just feels like there's a real opportunity there because we all know how expensive, how disruptive, how slow it is to, you know, dig roads up and, and put infrastructure into the UK to support, you know, the the needs of EV drivers as we see more and more vehicles on the road. And, you know, Oomph is just a, a really practical solution to a, a real problem. And she's she's really thought around it as well. Mm. So, you know, it is the not digging up the roads. It's the regulation. It's mm. the, the connection she's, she's making. And if you do, and I, I suggest that, you know, if you're listening in, do go and follow Morag on LinkedIn. You know, she has a lot of engagement with, with really influential people. So that whole point of educating the market, I think, is really important too. And she did say as she was leaving that maybe there should be a trial here at the Bradfield Centre. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've uh, we, we were speaking off microphone we've been looking for a long time about how we might support ev charging at the center and to the point i just made you know the infrastructure that's necessary is so disruptive and expensive we haven't yet found a, a way forward on that so you know that could be an amazing partnership so yeah we'd love to follow up on that conversation so just before we wrap up, in, in other news, we have an update on Technation Rising Stars. You'll remember in episode 18, we had the judges talking about the final. We now know who the regional winners are. Um, so they are in first place, Permetrics, in second place, Medwise AI, in third place, Ripple XN, and Versed AI also got a highly recommended. So congratulations to all of those companies. So we'll, of course, keep uh, tabs on the progress of those local companies in the national finals. We'll be waving the flag for the East of England in what will be the final cohort of Tech Nation Rising Stars. So next week, we're going to be talking to Mark Traherne, who's going to be taking us through a new international EMBA in life sciences. See you next week. Today's show was produced by Carl Homer of Cambridge TV and supported by our media partner, Business Weekly. The Cambridge Tech Podcast is available on all major podcast platforms and on cambridgetechpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star review. It will really help others discover the show. If you are a startup looking to grow in Cambridge, the Bradfield Centre offers a range of flexible membership packages which put you in control of your office and home working mix. There's a vibrant, collaborative atmosphere, on-site cafe, plenty of green outside space and regular member social events. For more information, visit bradfieldcentre.com or call 01223 919 600.